0: As we come now before the very Word of God, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. That's in the Old Testament. Uh, The prophet Hosea in chapter 6 this morning. We'll be here in a moment in Hosea chapter 6. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our great God. We know that your ways are sure and that your word is everlasting. These things are good and good for us. So now by your spirit, would you open our ears to hear? Help us to know you and to love you through these things. Guide me and us now in this, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is Hosea in chapter 6. We're now kind of taking whole chapters at a time, so we'll take uh, this entire chapter this morning. This is Hosea in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I <clears throat> I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. This is the word of God. Now... This is a lot for us to process, I know. We want to focus our attention today mainly on these opening verses. So we will look in just a moment at the topic of the Lord's healing. The Lord's healing. That will be our focus. But first I need to remind us of just a bit of context here. I know that you know this by now, but you may uh, remember, uh, starting back in chapter 4, that the prophet Hosea is now bringing to the people a series of indictments or judgments against them. These are things that have come through Hosea. They're from the Lord against Israel for her unfaithfulness. Or here in the words of the Lord, you have dealt faithlessly with me, he says. Part of that expression of faithlessness, the the Lord mentions here in verse 6, that they were bringing all of their sacrifices, but there was no steadfast love for the Lord. They were bringing all their burnt offerings, but there was no knowledge or closeness, no intimacy with God. In other words, they were doing still all the religious stuff on the outside. Going to church, saying the prayers, giving the money, and yet they were still so very far from God. This is similar to what Paul talks about in first, first Corinthians where he says you could speak in tongues of men and angels. You can have all prophetic powers. You can have faith so big that you move mountains. And you could offer your body up to be, to be burned as a martyr. But if you have not love, you've gained nothing. Because all this external stuff is good, but is not an end in itself. These things are given to us by God in order to draw us close to him. We hear in verse 6 the very desire of God, the heart of God. He says, I, I desire steadfast love. I want you to know me, love me, be, be faithful to me, because if your religion is not doing that, it's worthless to you. This little verse, verse 6, is something we hear quoted a few times in the New Testament. And Jesus picks it up a couple of times. Uh, there's an instance where, where he's walking around with the disciples on the Sabbath day, of which they were supposed to do no work, and, and his disciples are picking off uh, the heads of, of grain and, and eating them, which you know, a little butter would be nice or something, you know, but, that, but that's what they were doing. And, and as they're doing this, there's some religious folks, some of the Pharisees that, that look at it and go, mm-mm, not supposed to do that. They get all nitpicky about the details of the law. And Jesus looks at those Pharisees and tells them to reflect on this verse, verse 6 here in Hosea. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. They were so focused on getting it right, nailing down all the details, that they missed the point, the heart of the law, and they got it wrong. The law of God is not mainly about a list of do's and don'ts. The fulfillment of the law, you know this, is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then that would overflow in obedience. So what Israel is missing here, a large part of this indictment, is a lack of love. So then what is the Lord to do about that? He asks a question out loud, and then he answers it himself. Let me pick up in verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. He says, "What, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love's like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. He says, you don't really have love, so now my response is to speak to you through the prophets some very sharp words. He describes them here as words that that hew them. H-E-W. Hew. It's not a word that I use very often. Hew is like to chop with an axe or a sword. So this is the effect of those who are bringing now the word of God to the people, that their words are to hew, like with a blade. So Charles Spurgeon... I've mentioned him before, old 19th century English uh, preacher, preached a sermon on this text here in Hosea, and he titled the sermon, The Rough Hewer. The Rough Hewer. And in part, that description was a reference to himself as a preacher. It's not usually the description I give of myself, you know meet people downtown or in an airport and, you know, hi, oh, my name's Nathan, what do you do? I'm a rough hewer, you know? I, I, it, it's just confusing, even though it's, it's true sometimes. Now, I know that there are some preachers and religious leaders who almost seem to enjoy that role a little too much, that rough hewer place, Some people seem to derive some sort of twisted pleasure from cutting people down, and that's not good. That's not love, that's abuse. But that's not what the Lord means. That's not what Spurgeon means by talking about the hewing here. He only means that there are times when truth must cut like an axe. There are times when more good comes from a sermon that makes you mad than from a sermon that makes you glad. You're going to tell me good sermon after this today? You can if you want. Let me read just a a, a quick bit uh, from uh, Spurgeon's uh, sermon, The Rough Hewer. He says this, It's not the way of the truth of God to flatter guilty men. The Lord uses ministries of a cutting kind to make men uneasy in their sins and to cause them to flee to Christ for peace. It is well for the preacher to remind men that they are lost by nature and in their flesh dwells no good thing. It is well that sin should be made to appear as sin and it would be set forth clearly and the sovereignty of God proclaimed solemnly by the preacher. Oh, but I shall never hope again, says someone. That sermon drove me to despair. Self-despair is the beginning of true hope in Christ. So go and hear that man again. As you catch this part at the end, self-despair is the beginning of true hope in Christ. He's talking about hope and despair there. Not complete despair, mind you. Complete despair is not good. The scripture does not want complete despair for you, but it does want self-despair. Meaning that you will come to the limit of yourself and beyond. Reach the edge of what you were able to do and have to go past it so that you will go to Jesus and find hope in him. That's what these hewing words are supposed to do. So the hewing words are not because the prophet is being mean. It's not because the preacher is being mean. It is not because God is being mean. There is a good purpose here, which is this. It is meant to Heal us. Now, that's where we're headed in the rest of the time. To look then at the healing of God. In the rest of our time, I want us to ask four, four questions of the healing of God classic journalism questions. How, when, who, and why? How does He heal? When does He heal? Who does he heal, and why does he heal? So let's do with the first. How does God heal? Let's look at the first verse. This is where we'll camp for quite some time. Verse 1. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has torn us, that he may heal us. Now, it is not always this way, but at least here, the means by which the Lord heals is through tearing us. Through tearing us. And by tear here, we don't don't just mean a small little rip at the bottom of your jeans, you know? A A little tiny tear, some uh, Bible translations translate this Hebrew word here, tear to pieces. And I think that gets at the sense of what's being said here. This is the same word, by the way, we saw just a couple verses prior at the end of chapter uh, 5, where it's describing the tearing that a lion does with its claws. So this sort of tearing is big, it's dramatic, it's sometimes even painful. Of course, there's one major difference between the Lord and a lion. A lion tears so that it can eat. But the Lord here tears so that he can heal. He tears apart, tears even to pieces if he has to, so that he can put those pieces back together. It's not just that he's going to put us back together in the exact same way we were. You know, if that, were be, if that were the case, that would be pointless. What's the point of tearing, to just put it back in the exact same way? That would do nothing but just add pain and scars. That's not what's going on here. The Lord tears apart to get at the root of the problem so that it can be dealt with. So we can think of it like this. Let's say my, my TV quits working. Okay. kids pushed a few too many buttons you know or it just got too old TV quits working and so, so I take it off the, off the wall and I get my, my trusty screwdriver out and, and I get to work you know and I'm pulling it apart and I've got now screws all over the floor and panels and, and, and wires and, and everything's all kind of around me in a semicircle and because I'm not a big tech guy you know there's a pretty good chance that that TV is just going to stay broken uh, that I'm not going to be able to figure out how to put it back together. But if I were skilled enough, knowledgeable enough, I could tear that TV apart, potentially, and find and fix the problem, and then reassemble it without any screws left over or wandering off, you know, so that that TV can do what it was made to do. God works in a similar way, tearing apart. Except that he's not just a technician. We are not just a piece of machinery, a TV off the wall to our God. We are God's treasured possession. We are the bride of Christ, his very beloved. So when he tears us, it is for our good. We must not think of his tearing as a cruelty, even if it hurts or is confusing. His tearing is a kindness to us so that he would heal us. That's how he heals. He heals through tearing. Let's look at the second, which is when he heals. It's important for us to see the order of the timing here. This really matters. Let me read verse 1 again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. Okay? Let me break some of this down. In the past... He has torn us. The healing, here at least in the text, has not yet occurred. It is in the future. He has torn us. He will heal us. Now what stands in between in the present moment? He has torn us. He will heal us. At the beginning of verse 1, he says, Come, let's return to the Lord. In the present, now, there's a call to return to God, which means that the healing comes only after that return. The order of these things really matters. We're torn, we return, He heals. We can't flip these last two things around. It is not we are torn, then He heals, and then we return. Some people want it that way. I often hear some form of this. I will come to God if only he will heal me. I, once God rescues me, once God saves me from this, once God fixes this part of life for me, then I will trust him. That's backward. That is not how God works here. The Lord calls us to return to him before we are healed. This is an expression of faith. We call this faith in the scripture, or belief, trust in God. You know, the, the classic way to define faith in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, that faith is the, the conviction of things not yet seen. They're still real, anchored in real things. They just haven't come yet. So faith says, I am not yet fixed, but even while I'm broken, I will come to Jesus. Faith says, I am not yet righteous, but even while I am still struggling with sin, I will come to Jesus. Faith says, I am not yet healed, but even while I am torn apart and scattered on the floor, I will come to Jesus. We put our faith in him because our God is certain. Certain. He is sure as the dawning sun is the description of him here. You know, I don't know about you, but I have never once, not once in my life, wondered if the sun was going to come up. I've wondered whether it was going to come out on those cloudy days. But never in the middle of the night did I go, I wonder if the sun's going to rise today. I just assume that it will. It It is that certain, that Predictable, And even then, yet there are many times, for me at least, that I have wondered whether or not the Lord would heal. It's easy to fall into wondering, to fall into doubt. Let me remind you, if you are a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus, and you are in a season of being torn apart, You need to know that your healing will come. I promise you, it's the Word of God. It will come. Might take a while, might be after your very last breath, but God will bind up your wounds. In the meantime, While you are waiting for this, while you're waiting for the the dawning sun to come, do not wait to trust God. Put your faith in him now. Pray that he will drive the, the, the dark of doubt away and let us press on to know the Lord in faith. That's the second. When does he heal He heals after our returning. Third, who is healed? Who is healed by God? Verse 1 again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He's talking about an us there in particular. So who, who's the us? The us here in this context is, is the, the whole people of Israel, including the prophet Hosea himself. These are the chosen people of God whom God has put uh, sovereign covenant promises upon. And it's important for us to, to recognize that the, the Lord's healing is massive hugely far-reaching. There are many, many, many people who are, who are healed by God, but not all people are. Not all people are healed by God, not just in their bodies, but in their person, in their soul. The idea that God would heal every soul is called universalism. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God, in his goodness, has prepared a new heavens and a new earth. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there's a throne of God And the Lamb, and and from that throne flows this river of life that waters the tree of life, which we know from the Garden of Eden, And, and the leaves of that tree of life from the river of life from the throne of God, the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. This is big, big, big stuff. The new heavens and new earth and everything in it is completely healed. Completely including the humans who are there. There are no tears, no mourning, no pain, no death. There's no sin, and best of all, I think, no desire for sin. I have no desire even to go my own way. I, I can't even fathom that now because even as a saved Christian, I still sometimes desire things my own way. There's plenty of sin still left in me, but I try to des- you know, imagine the moment when I'll desire nothing but the good ways of God. That's a source of hope for me that every corner, every nook and cranny of the new heavens and the new earth is healed. But there is a place that is outside of the new heavens and new earth where nothing is healed. The scripture calls that place the lake of fire, a place where there is a death that will not die. And in that place, sin not only remains, but continues to grow in some sense throughout eternity. The lake of fire is under the wrath of God forever. And there are people there too. There are people in the lake of fire these are all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those, those whose sin has not been paid for by the blood of Jesus, people who have not been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and these people will never be healed. I say all of this not, not to scare you, Although there is honestly nothing scarier in the entire universe. But this is just the heavy work of a rough hewer. Sometimes I have to tell you the hard truths. We know all people, according to the scripture, all people receive a general call from God to put their faith in God. And yet, not all people do put faith in him. So I pray and urge each one of you, at least, in, the, in my hearing, that you would hear the call of God to come and return to the Lord, and that you would put that into effect by his grace. Come, let's return to the Lord in faith, that he would heal us forever that's the third who does he heal fourth and final why why does God heal I know some people might ask why not Why wouldn't he heal? Sounds good. It's a good question, but a question that we'll have to save for another time. Here, we're mostly after, what is the Lord's purpose in healing? When he does heal, why does he do it? Because healing is never an end in itself. The healing here serves a greater end. So listen for the reason, as I read again in verse 1. Listen for the reason for this. Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. Let me pause and note there's some resurrection language here. It's hard to miss. You know, even some some note about being raised on the third day, which Hosea doesn't seem to go into, but it's interesting. The goal here, though, is not just to be made alive. It's more than that. Let me keep reading. Verse, where am I? At the end of verse, uh, verse two, after two days he'll revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. Here it is. That we may live before him. That we may live before him. That's the goal of the healing. It is not just so that we may live, period. It is so that we will live before him. That is, live in the presence of God. Literally, the Hebrew word here means to live before his face. And this is what the arc of the entire Bible is about. So you know how this whole thing starts, yes? When, when, when God made everything, when he made the world and the stars and the sun and the moon and the plants and the trees and the grass, and the, when he made everything, God made it beautiful and abundant and good and All of creation is God's delight. And it's a a delight that God wanted to share. And so he made man and woman and put them in the garden of delight. And they were happy, delighted to be in the presence of God until they saw that the forbidden fruit was a delight to their eyes as well. And so they bit the fruit, they sin against God. And you know what happens next. When they hear the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they do not run up to him gladly. They do not come before his face. They, they what? They hide from his presence. They cut themselves off and then are cut off from before the face of the Lord God. And so begins the separation of God and man that we see that tension played out through the whole of the Bible, leading us all the way up to Jesus. Who is God and man And when Jesus lived Then he died for sin And we know scripture tells us that Christ died for sins once for all The righteous for the unrighteous To bring you to God The reason why we are healed Is not just to have A painless life Although we may want that too It is so that we will live before the face of God and share in his good delights, both now and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to long for, to yearn for the goodness of these things that we would be healed by your sovereign hand. We know that you will bind up the brokenness of your people and heal the wounds inflicted by your blow. Help us to put faith and trust in you, knowing that your ways are as sure as the sun. And we give you praise for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.